welcome to season two of the Sober Experiment podcast with Alex and Lisa. Our podcast is for anyone and everyone, whether you're still drinking, thinking about ditching the booze, or you've already quit alcohol for good. Our podcast is raw and still unedited to this day. Join us and our guests for tears, emotion, and some hilarious laugh out loud moments. Season two is sponsored by Lunar Holistics. Lunar Holistics offers a wide range of professional home study courses, including counselling, life coaching, and NLP. They also offer courses in beauty therapy and for the most spiritual minded of you, they've got courses in tarot, palmistry, astrology and psychic development. So if you've been considering a new career or you want to learn just for fun, no matter where you are in the world, Lunar Holistics will enable you to gain a fully recognised, accredited and insurable qualification and no previous academic qualifications are required. Lunar courses are easy to follow and you can study from home at any time that suits you. We're really excited that Luna has offered to sponsor this season as everything that they do aligns perfectly with our core values. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hi, Lisa. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I love the fact that you're actually already laughing when it's our first sentence. (laughs) I can't help it. We've had a strange morning already, haven't we? We have had a very strange morning. So, you know, when we talk about these podcasts being unedited. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely unedited. <laughs> no, they are unedited, but we do, We have had a bit of a technical hitch this morning because Lisa and I do this bit separately than the actual interview bit. Yeah, and somehow I've managed to record over a full interview with an intro and we're both gutted. Lisa's had to tap on it and have some fresh air. I have fully tapped on it. I'm telling you, Jules and Katie, which we will tell everybody more about on another episode, or you can see it on our YouTube, but they have been teaching us these tapping techniques and for the first time, oh my Lord, that was wonderful. I literally wanted to throw my computer across the other side of the room. I've gone upstairs, I've tapped. I'm absolutely fine now. So we're bringing today's episode forward it was supposed to be episode three yeah now we've got to be episode two which is fine and we're happy with it <laughs> aren't we you know what actually we are really happy with it i'm dead excited for everybody to listen to this one with mark and liam and hear their backstory because I think we see so much of Wise Up on social media and you know on the website it's fascinating the the stuff they're doing the great things they're doing is brilliant but what you don't often hear with stories like this is the full backstory so to get both of them at the same time and really really hear and see how it all started is just fantastic. Please Already, I've got anxiety about this because I'm <laughs> at the beginning, I right? know what you're going to say. <laughs> I call them the cutest little boys, right? And Lisa, honest to God, thought I was referring to two fully grown men as the cutest little boys. But if you know anything about Wise Up, and I get it now because some of you might not, but if you know anything about Wise Up, one of their kind of things they do is they put out a photograph of them two as children saying like, you know, the basic message behind it is these are just two children. How did they end up in such a mess kind of thing? Yeah. So I was not calling Mark and Leo adults cute. 
right? I'm not even going to qualify that with, but they are. <laughs> I, I was going to, they are pretty cute. <laughs> they are pretty cute, but I was not doing that, okay? So let's just get that straight. Anyway. It did freak me out, I'm sorry. And I think, and I don't know how that comes across because I've not listened to it back. But the fact that it just came out of the blue and you was like, can I just say you're the cutest two little boys? I was like, it just like freaked me out. I didn't know how to react. My body and mouth didn't know what to do. I've always done things like that. How many times on a podcast I said things and then thought, oh my God, I hope that's not going to go out to the world. And it does. Like there's something, I have got like verbal diarrhea. There's something wrong with me. Seriously. Oh, my imagination's too good for that, um, that sentence. My verbal diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it like you babbling bullshit. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> All right, enjoy this. Hi, Mark. Hi, Liam. How are you both? Hello. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So, <laughs> I love that. Um, so, obviously, we want to talk to you about your journeys individually and then together through recovery because it's not necessarily all to do with alcohol. You both you're quite similar to us in many ways and you've been friends since school so we've been dying to get you on I feel like we're in a little like awesome thing it's dead <laughs> like that don't look at me like that <laughs> oh she always does that to me <laughs> <laughs> but like you know like us two have been friends forever you two have been friends forever and like your journeys together into kind of disaster and then out of disaster into recovery do like really resonate with both of us, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited to have you both on. Um, we, I love what you do uh, through Instagram. But yeah, I can't wait to get get in and find out um, who Mark and Liam were before Wise Up. Before you tell us, can I say you're the cutest little boys that I've ever seen? <laughs> oh my God, you say such weird stuff. Have you seen their, their children's photographs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean now. I mean when you were little. God. Uh, uh, that's the oddest thing to ever oh, say. Let me just clarify for everybody listening. I'm not being weird. Mark and Liam put out their school photo and they're just both so innocent and cute looking. And it's part of what you do, isn't it, when you go to schools yeah. and showing kids that anyone can end up where you ended up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's important that when we go into schools, because they can relate to um, the fact we were in a position once, um, sat next to each other and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, um, they're important pictures then. Yeah, yeah, I think we get it, because like, we've put out our like, kiddie photos. Do you know what? We haven't got a single photo together from being teenagers. I don't know what we were doing. Well, I do. <laughs> yeah, we were drinking, that's what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. We did eat and then... We'll come on to our stories in a minute, but we was looking when Liam was staying with me, was looking for photographs together and we didn't have many because the work wasn't camera phones. And then we got our year photograph out and we both didn't know where we were stood and we both looked along the photo and I'm actually stood on Liam's shoulder on the photograph. And at that time, Liam was staying with me struggling and stuff and it was like, wow, little did we know back then and I'm stood on Liam's shoulder. It was... It gave us goosebumps when we found out where we were. That is pretty amazing, actually. Um, can we start with you then, Matt? Yeah, 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 no problem. 
So I'm a Bolton lad, as we both are. Um, I was brought up off a single mum. Um, so my dad left home when I was about four years old. But in all honesty, I didn't really miss him because I had a lot of love and attention off the rest of my family. I had a real, you know, close family network. Um, and I had a young mum. My mum had me at 19. So I thought she was really old at the time, being my mum. But she wasn't. She was a young mum. Um, we struggled, or my mum struggled financially, but I didn't really know anything about that because I was loved and, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't difficult for me. I just had, you know, a really good childhood. Now, I could have always tried harder at school, but what I did try hard at from a young age is football. Um, and I signed for my local football team about eight, nine years old, and I started doing quite well there. And then by 11, 12, I'd signed for Bolton Wanderers. Um, went on to secondary school, played for the town team in the county. Um, and I was a promising like young footballer. Um, did I think I'd make it? I thought I had a good chance because I was quite good at my age group. But little did I know it was quite difficult when I got older. Um, but why I say all that is because I was happy, I was loved, I was playing football. Um, and things were going really well. By 14, 13, 14, I signed for Man City um, and they'd already started talking to my mum about offering me a pro con- contract when I um, left school. Now, things started changing for me about the age of 14, 15. Started drinking a little bit on the park um, but what really changed for me is at the age of 15, I found out my girlfriend um, in my year group at school was pregnant um, what made it worse is my mum was a family planning nurse so had also awkward head of family planning works yes Ed so like, I remember my mum coming home bringing um, about 14 years old bringing me some condoms home and I think I made water bombs with them <laughs> and went in school and put them on my mate's shoulders so that's how much of a kid I was. But I was a jack the lad, but I wouldn't say I was a bad lad growing up. I was just one of the boys and that was it. But there was certainly no warning signs. Maybe warning signs when I started drinking a little bit because I was always the one who wanted to drink my side of the fat and, and you know, drink the most. And there was little warning signs on that side of it, even though drink didn't end up being a real big problem for me. Um, and then... Obviously, when I found out I was going to be a young dad, in all honesty, um, I was scared. I was scared about what all my mates would think. I was scared about what my family would think, what my football coach would think. But little did no one know because I was sort of acting like I was going to be a man and I was going to deal with it, when really at night I was crying myself to sleep all the time and just really worried. Um, And this was something that I carried on for the next 13 years, pretending that I was okay when really I was in bits a lot of the time. Around that time, I got reintroduced to my real father, who was um, in London for a number of years, but he returned back, funnily enough, around this time when, I fe- when he found out he was going to be a granddad. Um, and he started having contact with me, and one of the first things that I ever did with my dad was meet him in a pub at the age of 15, 16. He bought me a pint of beer, and um, he said, we're going to put some horses on, some bets. Um, and that's how it started for me. My, my addiction was gambling, but it all started at the age of 15 when I was going through an hard time. Now, when I gambled that day, I felt like I forgot about all my worries. I could switch off. No one was going to judge me for being a young dad. And I felt like I could really, really escape reality. 
Um, and that escaping reality was something I did for the next 13 years. Every little bit of stress that I got in my life, that's what I did. Now, I got released from Man City around that age. I pretended I was upset, but really I wasn't because I was sick of lying to them and I begged my mum not to tell them um, that I was a dad. So I was lying and living with this lie that I found to be really, really stressful. So when I got released, I thought, well, at least I don't have to lie to them anymore. I left school. I went to college for a bit, but realised that wasn't paying the bills and it wasn't going to provide for my young son. So I had to get an apprenticeship, um, an apprentice electrician. Um, I'd say by the age of 16, 17, I was gambling more or less every day. I was nipping out of work. I was getting in financial mess at that point. So I had a, I had a bad start in my work life and not controlling money. And most of that was down to gambling. I also started lying a lot, which I'd never had to do before. And cracks started to appear in my relationship with my family and especially my mum. I was still living with my mum at the time. She was expecting me to go home every Friday and give my keep um, and also manage my money. And by Saturday morning, I was tapping money off her, not paying my keep. And, you know, she found that really difficult and we started to argue a lot. Um, fast forward about four years um, to the age of about 21. I was gambling every single day. I'd gotten about three or four thousand pounds of a debt. And what had changed then is I'd gone from like overdrafts, payday loans. And once I'd done all that avenue and, and borrowed money off friends and family, I started going to the wrong sorts of people then and, and the likes of drug dealers and people um, who I knew of in my area that was involved in, in crime. I got brought up on a council estate and I knew people had gone on to that world and was doing things like that. And I started loaning money off them. And then... Once I messed up with them, thankfully nothing happened to me, but I messed up with them. I started to go into other sorts of people like that. And when I didn't pay them back, it was a little bit different than not paying an overdraft off at a bank. And at the age of 21, I got hit over the head with an hammer. Um, I woke up in the back of a taxi and, you know... I was gambling every day, every day at that point, but did I think I was an addict? No, I thought I had a financial problem. I thought if someone came along and gave me a load of money, all this would be fixed. But I didn't really class myself as an addict. I thought I could mm. stop. I thought I convinced myself that I was gambling to get myself out of trouble. Um, and it was sort of self-fueling, really. It was escapism. Then I was trying to win the money. I, I won money a number of times and never paid it off. Um, my life was spiraling out of control. And my family sort of really stepped in at that point and said, you're being attacked with hammers, you know, you, you're ruining your life. You need to get some help. And they pushed me to Gamblers Anonymous. And I remember getting to that meeting on a Friday night in Bolton, being the youngest lad there, looking around and thinking, well, I'm not as bad as these people because I've not lost an house and I've not lost this. So, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. And I went for a couple of weeks and told my mum on the third week I'd gone back and I walked into a pub where my girlfriend and my mum was there with my auntie and she was crying her eyes out and saying, oh, can you lie to me? You said you're getting the help. I promise you, after them two weeks of going to GA, I thought I was fixed. I thought, oh God, I do feel different. I've not gambled. I might have had one bet in that two week. I thought this is the you know, longest I've gone. I've got it cracked. This is easy. And I didn't know that recovery is a big big deal and something you've got to throw 100% into but I was too young and I had a few levels to go fast forward two years 23 years old at this part I was in the middle of a degree I was going to work every day in a certain time working for a national construction company 
And so to the outside world, I was doing all right. Really, I knew my world was just spiraling out of control. Um, I was getting money off people in a number of different ways. I was lying and coming up with business plans and saying they're investing in companies. And I was getting involved with some pretty dangerous people. At the age of 23, I owed £10,000 to a group of, a gang of people, whatever you want to call them. And we came around my mum's one Friday after I'd finished work and I ran upstairs and was going to jump out of the skylight. Thankfully, they, they didn't come upstairs. They didn't know I was there and they left. And my mum came upstairs in floods of tears and said, this is just too much. You, you, we can't go on like this. You need to get out of the way. And I said, what do you mean? Like she said, you need to move, leave the country. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. I've got, I had two kids at this point. Wasn't being a good dad, even though I love my boys and try to see them as much as I can. And they're in my life every week. Even when I was with them, I was just thinking about, how am I going to get my money? How am I going to do this? I was just totally engrossed in the addiction side of it. Um, and that Friday night, my mum got a laptop out and we found a place in the Channel Islands called Sark. Um, there was no bookmakers. And I thought, well, I can't get in trouble there because there's no bookies. Um, and I got my bag, got a flight on the Sunday. And on the Monday, I was waking up, literally running away. Um, I left a job. I was in the middle of a degree or towards the end of it on my third year. Um, I left my family. I had to tell my kids' mums that I was like moving away, which they weren't happy about. Um, and I just felt like I was about to start again. Um, within about two or three weeks, though, the guy who I live with had an online betting account and I'd started again. I left there after 12 months, even more trouble after working in the kitchen, washing pots and just a crazy existence, really. And I got in trouble there after 12 months when people money. And I rang my dad and said, Dad, I've heard you're in Ireland. Um, can I come over there? Which I did. I went over to Ireland and moved with him. My dad, in all honesty, was probably the worst person to be around because he was a drinker, he was a gambler. And although my addiction wasn't drink, um, I'd say I had a, prob a problem with it that I was a binger because when I got in trouble with gambling, um, some people gamble when they've had a drink. Um, I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest, that I had to be like completely sober. Um, but when I got in real big amounts of trouble, the only thing I could escape from gambling was to go out and get wasted, and that would be drinking, and a lot of the time recreational drugs. So although I wouldn't say I was an addict and I felt like I needed it every day, it was something that I felt was propping my gambling up a lot of the time or trying to. Um, and I stayed in Ireland for about 12 months whilst I was over there. My cousin was living with me, which was good because he's a young lad. He ended up falling out with his girlfriend. This is He's at the age of 21 at this point. He went home and, and took his own life. Um, so I had to go home for the first time in about 18 months um, of being on the run. And I was scared about that because I thought these people are going to be looking for me and when I came back for his funeral, I carried the coffin. I obviously I had to be at the funeral. They were they were there. They were like waiting for me to to be honest. And they didn't threaten me, but they were just making it known that they were there. And then I had to go and see them. And I thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Ireland. And I got in all sorts of mess there. I felt like I couldn't stop gambling. Um, I was gambling takings from work and just got into all sorts of mess. So me running away from my problem just made it ten times worse. Um, after about two and a half years of being on the run, 
I met a girl through social media who was living back in Bolton um, and I was talking to her for ages and it, obviously I'd not had a relationship for a long time because of what was going on. And I remember like pretending I was someone else really. Really, I was gambling every day. I was in bits. I was depressed. My mental health was suffering, but I wanted her to think that I was, you know, I was in Ireland. I was working away. I was a QS. I was a surveyor. So I had a good job. So to the outside world, she probably thought, oh, you know, he seems a decent lad. Yeah. But really, I was going into that relationship with a load of weight on my shoulders and, and, and big problems. So that relationship was never going to work. I stayed with her for about two years. I ended up moving back home. She didn't even know I gambled, but what she did know is I was very erratic. So I would plan to go out for a meal with her. I would lose all my money um, and I would go home and cause an argument because I knew I couldn't go out. Mm. One minute I'd win money and I'd be sharing her with gifts and pretending that I had money. And then the day after I'd be asking her for £10 so I could put some petrol in my car. And she was like, what is going on? After about two years of that, she found out everything that I'd spam this big web and I owed quite a lot of people money. Now, around this point, about the age of 27, um, again, I was getting involved with some bad people, but I was also conning people out of money, basically. Um, and she was um, getting concerned with my behaviour and it all came out in the end and then we broke up um, you know, I found that out as well because I thought I'm never going to be able to keep down a relationship. Um, but did I class myself as an addict at that point? Maybe a little bit, but I knew I had problems and I ended up taking an overdose at that point and ended up in, in hospital when I'd split up with my girlfriend. And it was a more of a cry for help. Um, and whilst I was in there, um, I, I, I seek some help through the doctor and they told me about a place called Gordon Moody. Um, and then I got out, I went to one of my friends who's both one of our best friends, Anthony, um, and I thought I can go into this garden mood in a couple of weeks. And then I got a text of someone saying about um, they knew where I was going and the only person who knew was my mum. So I rang my mum upset and said, have you told someone? And she said, no. Um, and I ended up getting a text of someone I owed money to. And I don't know if you should say this on here, but it's not, not good, but... One of the nurses on my ward had told someone that I owed money to mm-hmm. where I was going. Um, and I thought, well, I can't even go there because they're going to come there and looking for me. Like, they, I'm I, mad I, inside. I'm so anxious it's listening the, to it. It's, it's the same principle, isn't it, as when, I don't know what you know about this, but my dad was sober for 11 years before he died eventually of heart attack and liver disease. And the reason he died is because he started drinking again. And it's the same principle as that a nurse actually said to him, oh, you'll be all right to have the odd one now. I know it's not exactly the same, but it's somebody in a position of trust. Yeah. It's you, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's shocking what's happened there. It, um, you know, I've spoken to a number of professionals since, and they're all like, you need to pursue this. In all honesty, like, it got worse after that. I've not got the energy yeah. Just, yeah, I get that. Like, um, and then I owed about £30,000 at that point. Um, I didn't really know what the figure was at that point, but looking back, I do now know who I owe money to. And I thought, there is no way I'm going to get out of this mess unless I win it. But the truth is I had some really big wins around that point and I could have paid it off. But me being an addict, I thought, oh, I can win that much money. I can buy an house here. You know, just me, me, me thought process was just insane. 
Um, so I didn't go to rehab and I carried on. I reinvented myself again. I told people that I was all right and I'd stop in gambling. I'm getting some help and I'm going back to GA. I never went back to GA. And I carried on for this next two years. In that time, um, I ended up being kidnapped because I owed money. Um, they rang my family whilst I was at work demanding money. I remember being in the back of the car thinking, I'm going to get hurt. They had like, I won't call them machetes, I call them like swords to me and was saying that they were going to do all sorts and my mum was at work that day and she got a phone call. Um, and at that time, I was just completely shutting down. Despite that, I had a, a job in construction. I was a national business manager for a construction company. I was going to work every day. I was doing well in my job as sales as such. I knew I was winging it, but um, I was quite good being a blagger because I was an addict as well. Yeah. But I was numbers. Um, so they would have seen me getting to work every day, probably laughing and joking. And I was being kidnapped like, at weekends and they didn't even know about it. Um, and then that could only go on so long and... I lived on my own at the time. I used to get home from work and I'd be thinking, you know, this is it now, I'm going to take my own life. And I planned this for such a long time. I'd go on the internet and then I kept thinking, who's going to find me? And, um, you know, I had pots in my sink and I just chucked them, chucked them away instead of washing them. I, like, I couldn't deal with anything in life. I couldn't just deal with this more. If a letter come through the door, I'd be going in the bin. I had parking tickets piled up in my boot, which I think were a few grand in the end. Um, and I remembered that place what I should have gone to two years before. And thankfully, I reached out to them and I said, please, I need help. And they told me four weeks. And I said, I'm not going to make four weeks. I said, I'll, I'll kill myself before then or someone will find me. And they said, all right, two weeks. And I remember that being the longest two weeks of my life. Um, and thankfully, I got there in 2013. Um and I remember getting there and just slumping in the chair and saying, please, like, help me. Um, and one of the first things they did was say, uh, like, write all your debts down. Um, and I wrote them down. It was like 24, I think it was about 18 people at first, but it ended up being about 24. In fact, it ended up being 25 last week because someone else come back out of the woodwork that I forgot about. And all that sounds bad. No, you know, I get it. I get it. I would do that many insane things. I forgot, like people who I owe money to it's crazy but at that point with 306,000 what I owed and that had gone up from 30 to like 300s in the space of the years because of the amounts that I was getting people um, and that was seven years ago um, rehab for me was where it changed I ended up staying there for nine months I took it really serious to the point where I was falling out with people who wasn't taking it serious in there I was still like Bambi on ice then, but I thought I knew it all even about recovery early on. And I see people now start getting their lives sorted and then a week later they're asking for a job with us. And I always say like, just slow down a little bit. But I was, yeah. one, of them, I was one of them people, 100%. I wanted to save the world after week two, but I needed to establish a recovery. And that's what I did. And I ended up getting a job at the rehab, volunteering for a couple of years, um, and then, you know, I was seen as a bit of a mentor in there, which I got a lot from. And I knew how to step in when people were having problems and stuff. And then I kept coming back home from rehab um, and I was bumping into Liam more and more. Um, 
you know, me and Liam were close at school, but as you do when you leave school, you go your separate ways, you have different lives. And certainly with my life, I went separate ways from even my family. Um, but I always caught up with Liam at weddings, at family, you know, at do's and stuff like that. And I bumped into him. And I remember a lot of people talking about Liam because he was successful and because he had nice cars and also his drug use. But because he had money or seemed to have money, it wasn't seen as a problem. But I remember being in that world. Might not have been a bigger problem to me a few years before, before because I was doing it and there'd be times where I'd use with Liam. So that was just boys being boys. But because I was at rehab, I was thinking, no, this isn't right. And people were telling me how much he was spending on it. So I started to stick my nose in a little bit um, and ask questions. And and to the point where Liam's life was sort of um, falling apart because of his drug use. And I was around that little bit more. And um, Liam was offering me some advice about my next step in my career. So I was seeing him a little bit more. Um, and I was able to ask them questions. So when Liam finally did say, I've got a problem, he rang me and said, I need to meet you. Um, so it's weird because our recovery's collided, our world's collided again. Yeah. And I was able to offer that help and support um, at the time when Liam needed it. I didn't have all the answers. I'll be honest with you, when Liam, probably never said this, but it's, it's true. And I thought, I thought about it the other day, when Liam first came staying with me, um, and I'll let him tell his story obviously in a minute but I didn't know what the best advice where I could just base it on my re- recovery route and I knew he got got to live an honest life however I didn't want to scare him off up to the start and say to him you can't drink ever again Yeah. yeah. the drugs thing was the biggest thing in my eyes but I was still a bit like I, I think I remember saying something along the lines look in 12 months if you're strong enough, you might be able to have a drink again. Would I say that now, being around Liam? No, I, I tell people from the start, but I still had a bit of learning to do on that side of things. And it scares me now when people say, well, I've got a drug problem, but I'm going to carry on drinking. And I just think you've got no chance. It's so true that, I mean, you're, what interests me is the, well, it all interests me, but what like gets me is the cycle of addiction whether it's to do with gambling, drugs or alcohol, it's exactly the same. So in the beginning, it's fun. You get that dopamine hit because you're getting the reward, the winning, feeling amazing. And then the bad, the bad hits. You can't get out of it. You're in a desperate state in a deep, dark hole. And and then you start doing it more to try and blot out the facts that you're affected by it. Your mental health gets it. It's exactly the same, even though yours wasn't substance abuse. It's yeah. exactly the same in terms of what's going on in your body and what's going on in your mind, isn't it? Yeah, it is. What yeah. one that has come out of my recovery um, through gambling um, is that I've changed my relationship um, with drink and I've certainly stopped taking drugs. Um, I think, you know, I didn't... Certainly when I was doing Wise Up, it was like, right, I've got to live... You know, I've got to practice what I preach now. But when I got out of rehab, I was still going for like a drink now and again and seeing my mates because I'd not seen them for a few few months and getting a bit leathered really. And I didn't I didn't like that. It didn't sit right with me. I knew it didn't. And another thing that I didn't like is losing control because for the first time in a long time, I gained some control back by stopping gambling. 
and drinking was the only thing again where I lost that control. So I've really changed my relationship with drink. Um, so obviously I'll let Liam tell his story in a minute, but fast forward it now, um, seven years on, I'm seven years without a bet. Thankfully, I've not relapsed. I've um, done a lot in that time. I spoke at Parliament. I've built relationships with my mum back, my family back. I've tried to build bridges with people that I owe money to. I pay about 16 people um, a set amount every month now, and I'm determined to pay my debts off. Um, it'll take a long time because it was so big, but um, my relationship with drinking has changed so much so that I had, to, <laughs> I had a conversation with my, with my girlfriend last night because she had a glass of wine on a Tuesday, but I was like... Um, <laughs> on a Tuesday? <laughs> no, do you know what, though? But I, I've got to be careful sometimes because... We all have to be careful in recovery because people just sometimes think pee off is not a problem for me. Yeah. But I do I do think it's not a problem for a lot of people, but I just think like it's just normal for when you've got a bit of stress, oh let's go for a drink. And because I'm around it all the time now and certainly around Liam's recovery, um, I see it all the time where people drinking on emotions and I always think that's not a good thing. Stressful time at work, let's go and get leathered. That's happened, we've got a promotion, let's go and get leathered. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just not, I've just changed. I don't, I don't preach about it, but I tell people, I'm honest with people, if they've got a lot going on in their life or they're going through a stressful time, don't be whamming a load of booze down your neck because it's not going to help. So I have changed my relationship with it. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm healthy. I'm probably mentally better for it. I've got an health condition that I can't drink anywhere really with it. So, yeah, although I'm unsober, did you call me? <laughs> we said you're the only unsober person. Well, I didn't say it. Well, no, I'm not saying it. You said it. You stigmatized me. Yeah. <laughs> Still pretty sober. I'd say I have one drink a month and it's three or four pints and maybe watching a football game, but it's not like... I think the thing is that you're aware of how easily it could grab you and you know and there are people who you know we talk about this there are people who moderate and it's hard work for them or there are people who control it and it's hard work for them but I think when you're just aware of how addiction can take hold of you that's the starting point anyway and you know like I say your recovery isn't about alcohol it's about gambling and that's what you've come through and that's your story and I think that will massively help people to see that addiction is addiction, whatever it is. You know, yeah. It is. And I think that's the main point we need to get across from the podcast with you. Well, one of the main points, because when Liam's told his story, I'd like you to share about Wise Up because you do amazing work with young people and businesses. And it's very different to what we do because one of you talks about recovery from substances and one of you from gambling. And I think that's what you bring. And it's, it's incredible what you both do. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're up. Look <laughs> <Isn't> me now. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say, right, just a couple of things. I'm really yeah. sorry. Some, did you see someone walking? Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, we were going to say hiya, but we thought it was rude to interrupt. Oh, 
he's my friend and I, I saw him coming up the drive because I can see it in the window here and I texted him going I'm on a live I'm on a live I was like that and then he came in I had to mute myself I was going I'm on camera like I can't <laughs> but I'm don't worry. And then my neighbour started mowing the lawn so I'm starting to put the window so I'm really sorry oh, I think got the dog wandering around in the background at Lisa's house Jeffrey's always here and sometimes he gets us in real situations doesn't he Lisa yeah he's a bit stinky sometimes and we've got a t- and wow. she's like nudging me under the table going can you smell it can you smell it and we're like we're trying to keep a straight face so no one would know but Jeffrey causes me a lot of stress sometimes yeah. I've kicked my dogs out for this actually they know <laughs> no we don't mind don't worry so so come on let's hear your your side uh, do you know I might mention something then and I'd forgotten about I'd forgotten about when you were looking at starting up a business and we were, we were meeting up to talk about that I completely forgot about that I don't think we've ever mentioned that in any story before have we um, yeah we've got exclusive information alright <laughs> <laughs> um, okay um, I suppose it's a bit like Mark really you can only tell it one way can't you so, um, so yeah I'm born and born and bred um, just the same as Mark really Um Pretty, um, pretty normal-ish um, for me type uh, childhood, really. I think there were things that maybe weren't typical in, in a sense, um, but nothing nothing uh, too alarming. Um, you know, my mum and dad were kind of off on, on, off on, all that sort of collab that goes on. Um, and uh, we moved house an awful lot, so I've lived in like, I never left Bolton, but I pretty much lived in every area of Bolton. Um, I've lived in a lot of houses when I was younger, um, just because that's what we did, I don't know. Um, and uh, I'm the youngest of four, so I've got two older sisters and an older brother. Um, and um, and yeah, I was loved, I was happy, no, nothing to really report. I think there were a couple of little things like when I was a little bit younger, so... My brother was a bit of um, a boy about town and I remember my house being raided once like because I think what he was doing um, and um, we moved just before I started secondary school. So from my primary school there was me and a girl or me and two girls it might have been who started in secondary school. I went from a primary with like 90 pupils in total to this like massive secondary in a new area Um and I, 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 I do reference this a bit when I go into schools because I think it's important. I was petrified when I started secondary school. I, I was, I had never been in this environment before, and I, and I was quite literally Billy no mates. Like I had no one, um, and so really quickly in secondary school, I, I was like made it my mission to make lots of friends. That was like my mo, really. That's what I needed to do, and and I did it really, to be honest, and and very quickly. I loved secondary school. Like, I, I literally loved it. And it wasn't so much the school bit, to be honest. A bit like Mark said, you know, a bit of a cheeky chap here, could have tried harder, but I could get average results with virtually no effort, and I was fine with that. Um, and um, and I had loads of friends. I walked to school. I walked there and back every day with my mates. Um, and I just I enjoyed it. You know, it was a good time. I, I, I sometimes look back on it and think, God, I wish I'd have made more of it, you know, because it was that good. Um and Mark, you know, one of my first days in school, I was quite small at that age. Um, and um, one of my first days in school, the lad who was in my form, who happened to be one of the biggest lads in the year, 
was actually Mark's best mate. So like from pretty much from day one, we ended up with this like joint best mate. And that's really how, how we interacted then right through school. So that was quite cool, really. Um, and then, you know, 13, 14, like, I don't know, is it like most kids? I think it is. Um, started experimenting. Yeah, yeah, started experimenting. So I started drinking um, and smoking weed, really. Um, and, and I loved it. Too fun. Um, I think... I think I, you see, I, I'm one of these, mate. I think I had my addiction from like Dale Bourne. I, I believe it's in me. Um, I do believe that. And I think when I look back, I can even see it then, you know. Um, I hadn't really had a drink unless I passed out. If I haven't been sick, then I haven't had enough. You know, like everything, everything was just to the nth degree. Um, whether that was smoking weed, drinking, whatever. By 15, 16, I was taking classes. Um, sometimes in school, I, I used to get out of school and do stuff. I had lots of different groups of friends. And for me, I had a bit of a life event. Um, my, dad was, my dad was actually sent to prison quite suddenly. I didn't know about um, And I, I don't like look at that as like a cause of my addiction or anything else. But because of that situation... I ended up with a lot of freedom, so my mum had to work an awful lot, um, and I, I was like, I felt quite well connected, I felt like I had it all going on, because I, I didn't go in school very much once once that happened, and, and I got the receptionist to sign me in all the time. I played rugby, so the deputy head was like, you couldn't do any wrong with him, so I'd get sent to him, and he'd just like smile at me, was, I was never getting involved. I'd go to parents' evening with my mum so that the teachers wouldn't say anything because I was sat there. You know, like, things like that. I just... I just quite manipulative at a really I genuinely thought, like, I had it all boxed off, but really, I, I, what I was doing was laying these foundations because when my dad got sent to prison, uh, my family decided to keep it quiet, so we pretended he wasn't in prison, you know, so I learned to lie really good, yeah. really quick. Um, and I learned to pretend I was okay, a bit like what Mark was saying before. Um, and, and alongside that, because of the freedom I had, um, I was always up to something, a little something, nothing necessarily illegal, but like, I used to like run uh, an official tuck shop or I'd like sell pens or fake IDs or I'd arrange dues and mobile phones and stuff. And, so I always had a bit of, not fortune, for a young lad, I used to always have a bit of pocket change. So I used to spend that on drinking drugs. I used to have quite a lot of freedom. And because of my brother and a few other things, I had like older groups of friends, you know, like that I could do, I'd do one sort of lot of behaviour with one lot of friends and one with another. And yeah. all that. Everyone's got a Liam in school, haven't they? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. My fake ID, looking back, it was just shocking. It had creases over my face and everything, but... You know, like, I remember getting, buying my fake ID off a lad in my year and stuff like that. So I think yeah. there's always a Liam knocking around somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. the entrepreneurial side of you is really interesting, though, even from <laughs> yeah. a, a young age. Yeah, <laughs> but I, it annoys me that schools don't see this and use it and focus on it. Yeah. I can help you with that, but we'll get to that. Go on, sorry. Well, I don't think school like my entrepreneurial skills. I, think <laughs> I know, but somebody should have spotted it and thought... Oh, this kid has got talent. <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling 15 year olds IDs, and then when we left school, do you remember we had that big do? 
I arranged a big do, and I, 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 we arranged a big leavers do. I was 16, and I went down to this bar, changed my clothes on way down, pretended I was leaving six for, met this owner, set this do up, and the, the head of years one day pulled me to one side, and they were like, we've heard about this do, like, what's going on, and do they know it's for this school, and all that. I was like, no, no. Fine, <laughs> don't worry. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think the school was the best place. But like I said, I, I, I loved school, but I'd set off that like double life quite early on because I was like by the time I'm 15, 16, I was taking classes. If I went out, I'd, my relationship with drink wasn't good very early on, to be honest. Because and I, and I think this is where I know some of them traits of addiction. Where like before I'd go out, I'd knack a load of aspirin or paracetamol before I went out because someone told me to get me levered quicker. You know, yeah. and if I went out at 16 with say 20, 30 quid in my pocket, I wasn't buying drinks. They used to do shots of vodka for a quid. I would buy 20 or 30 shots of vodka. That would be because I, I needed to get levered and I only had, you know, like things like that. And I think that weren't really about enjoying the night. It was about getting smashed. Yeah. And, and so that was there. But alongside all that, I was, I, I was kind of seen as doing all right. Like I, I weren't into football. I was into like martial arts and tie boxing and all that. And I was competing at that. So I was seen as fit and healthy. Um, I got my GCSEs, I got my A-levels, um, I had a long-term girlfriend from pretty early on and stuff, so I was kind of like hitting those milestones and I honestly used to think, I used to think I'm good at taking drinking drugs because I can still do what I need to do and I can take that and I thought, I'm, that's my thing then, I'm really good at it, like, you know, um, didn't really realise what I was setting myself up for and I think... When I left sixth form, I moved into um, moved into a house and rented some rooms to, to my mates. I, I got a job in a pub um, and I was at uni, so to speak. And um, yeah, and it was just chaos for a few years, you know, like I, I would drink every day. I'd have Q beers, I'd have walking beers, I'd have in the train beers, bus beer, you know, whatever, whatever I was doing, I had a drink with me, you know, that was a, that was a given. And that happened for quite a few years. And in all honesty, I think I knew it weren't good um, and I kind of like, I knew things weren't good. I was drinking, I was taking classes, I wasn't living very well. Um, but the drinking only really sided off for me when I took drugs. So it was like, it, it, I just switched, you know, and it was a bit like that really. And and, and, and again, progression, you know, I, were, um, I got I got through my degree by hook or by crook, uh, a bit more manipulation, and I got a career <laughs> job, and um, got a career job, was seen as settling down, and when everyone else, I think when, you, when you've got to that point in your life, like usually you're, um, people settle down, they mature, they grow up and all that, and I, and I knew I wasn't really doing it, because I was still going out and staying out getting in bother and all that sort of thing and I kind of made a decision I was going to move my girlfriend in and, and settle down um, and for me that basically meant I, I won't go out I'll smoke loads of weed and I'll make sure I go to work and, and do what I need to do and that kind of went on for a few years um, and then but when I did go out I was out you know like I was get, I weren't in a good way and stuff and it was like I'd saved it all up and um, and just slowly, I think, um, taking cocaine just started to creep into my, 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 my now quieter life. Like, I might not have been going out, but I started to creep in. I'd have it when I was going out loads, but I started to creep in. 
Um, and it just sort of became a bit of a feature. Um, again, I, I was still progressing. I got married and my first kid. I got involved in recruitment. Um, and on paper, like my life was progressing. I was doing what I needed to do. Um, and I think from the outside, was seen as doing okay. But what I, what went from being when I went out happened to be a few times a week. And then it was pretty much every, every night. And there were a few things going on, like... Um, so I'd, 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 I had three kids in the end. Um, I'd been in the recruitment company a long time. I hated my job. My wife struggled with a few things, and I, and I struggled with that, to be honest. Um, I didn't cope very well. Um, we decided we were going to sell the company. Um, that was a process. And, and on every occasion, I just turned, whether it be good, bad, middle, indifferent, um, I just turned to the thing that's been there all the way through. And, you know... Really, it was it was drugs primarily. But what what I started to do is because I, I no one knew I took drugs. By the way, pretty much mm-hmm. all of the people. And so, why, did your wife not know either? At this no, my wife's like the most like she's never had a cigarette. You know, she's like she's you know her getting levered is two glasses of wine, and she does that once a month. You know, it's like she's never misbehaved, and she didn't know I took any classes, nothing, not even. So she wouldn't know what to look for, would she? No. No. Anything like that? No, and um, and so like I don't know. A lot of things happened. I turned to what I turned to more and more, and I think whilst no one knew I was taking drugs, I think my behaviours and all that sort of stuff had, had started to get noticed um, by people close to me. Um, and really, I think that around that time, I think we'd had our, we'd had Bridge at our third. My wife struggled with postnatal depression. There were a few people dying or selling the company. And really at that time, I just went 24-7 and it was just every day. I didn't really get through a a few hours really without doing something. Um, And, you know, on paper, my life had gone like that. And I was a director, I was earning big money and all that. And and yeah, I was just a mess or falling apart. Um, And I think I, I thought when I sell the company... When I sell the company, it'll be fine. I'll I'll stop doing this job here and I'll put myself out. And that'll be the moment, and it just didn't happen like that. So I'd started fighting again because I think that was I was trying to you know I'll do that that'll that'll stop me misbehaving. Yeah. That didn't, and and so I was just set on selling the company and that'll be fine. And then it just that was actually the start of a, a massive decline, really. Mark and I had started crossing paths more and more, as he, as he mentioned. And one of the first times was probably about two years before I sold the company, I think, roughly, pal. I don't know if you... Um, was at um, the wedding. Um, and we'd cross paths. And whenever you met Mark, like Mark, a lot of Mark's stuff that he described to you then was like, they were like outward stories. You know, people knew of them. And so when you yeah. meet them, oh, what have you been up to? And you'd wait for like one of these like stories or scrapes he's been in. Obviously... Obviously, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes there in terms of what he was dealing with, but we didn't know that. And I met him at this wedding and, and sort of said, like, oh, what are you up to? And he said he was in a rehab. Um, and I do remember, I was like laughing. I thought he was joking at first. I, I always remember that. And, and didn't really take him on. Went on to get smashed at that wedding. There's a picture of me from that wedding on mess. Um, I got in loads, quite a bit of bother, actually. Um, but something must have stuck with me. Because I think a combination of knowing that, knowing he'd turned his life around, and then the discussions Mark tried to have with me over a period of time, obviously something had stuck with me. And I sold the company, 
uh, Mark and I had been crossing paths and I just I just went off the scale really. I got kicked out of my house um, and then I had a load of money, no job, and I wasn't with my wife and kids. So um, Recipe for disaster, isn't it? Yeah, it was really. And I think I'd always been bothered about being seen as something and, and, and all that sort of thing and I just stopped going. I'll be honest, I, I give everyone the, the, the big two and, and kind of did what I wanted to do and I didn't really care what happened in the meantime. And I, there were loads of things that happened. Um, I think the first thing was um, I was told to go to counselling. I went to counselling and I'll be honest, I had a wrap around my little finger. I was, that was easy. It didn't stop me doing anything. Told what she wanted to hear, played the victim and, you know, and I left every week smiling, no problem. Um, but didn't do anything to stop me drinking or drugging. Um and then things, I never got honest with me, I kept getting caught though. So like, I never went to someone and was like, oh, I've got this problem. What happened was I got caught doing something. I was like, yeah, I might, be, might not be good. Like, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of what happened. And so eventually like my family put a bit of a plan in place. And I think I got about two weeks, I got about two weeks right, drinking and drugging here at Christmas. Um, and then I'd crashed four cars in a week just before that. Um, like a couple weren't major but two were bad and I had to pay someone off and all that so I had to pay a rental car company off and stuff um, and I think it was just after the Christmas it was about January I think Mark if I'm not mistaken because I've got this two weeks everything I was back home everything was alright two weeks in and then started using again and I think that was a moment for me where I was like I can't do this from my own like and, and so I, that's when I rang Mark up Um and I rang him up. I said, like, I need to see you. Um, and so we arranged to meet in Morrison's in Bolton. And I rang him again. And I was like, I don't look like when you last saw me because it was a bit of a mess. I'd, I'd, I'd started having to put, like, makeup on my nose and that and all that, you know, like, in mornings and stuff. I was taking prescription drugs to level me out, all sorts of nasty stuff, really. And then I went and sat opposite Mark and... Um, just brought down really um, and said you know I, I've got a, a big problem and, um, and I don't know what to do because in order to deal with the problem I'd have to tell people how bad it was if I tell people how bad it was they're going to hate me they love me and then what's the point and all that and that kind of guided me through that then helped me have discussions with my family and actually helped my family as well to be honest be like, particularly my wife and my sisters and stuff like he actually had discussions with him himself and, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was in a rehab. Um, um, and I, I was quite happy to go. I was quite happy to go, to be honest. I was like, I was ready for a break. So I thought I got there. And, I, and I think that's what I thought it was. When I was got there, I was like a rude awakening. I was put in a suicide prevention room. I was uh, told I was in an acute psychiatric hospital. Um, I had someone checking my room every few minutes and all that. So it, was, it wasn't it was quite what I thought it was. Um, and I think I did give it my all. I did try and give it everything. I'd, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't because I, I don't think that's the, the case. Yeah. Um, but when I came out of there, I wasn't, it was four weeks, cost me quite a lot of money. Um, and then I just got back into my old life where I'd drink and drunk for 19 years, you know, so... And, and to be honest, when I came out as well, like, I struggled with the fact that now everyone knows I'm an addict. Now, now everyone knows this, like, now what am I? You know, all that. I get stuff. that. Yeah, and I think if you don't, that's the thing, isn't it? If you told somebody at the beginning of their journey, in order to be really successful in this, your whole life's going to change. Yeah. I change your social circles. You've got to change the people you associate with. If somebody told you that at the beginning, you'd just go, forget that, I'm not doing it. 
And well, it, someone did say that to me. They were like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, nah. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just it, uh, quite a frightening prospect, isn't it, that your whole life... Yeah, it, it really in reality, is. I'm sure you both feel the same. Your lives now can't look anything like they did eight years ago. No. Um, so I was dropped back into my old life and, and trying to not do the things I did, but I hadn't changed all the stuff around it. If that makes sense. So that's, and, and I struggled with it, and you know, I kept relapsing. Um, I got psychosis. Um, I was asked to plan, but my, 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 the hope that I was going to sort myself out was fading. Like, my wife made me plan my funeral, my arrangements for my kids, all. And then, um, and I woke up one morning and I was told that this chaos had to leave the house again. And I was like, oh, where am I going? And, and then she was like, well, Mark said you can go and stay with him. And, and, and that was it. I was on a train, uh, backpack, pack of fags, blow up bed. And uh, Mark picked me up in the Midlands from the train station. Um, that's, um, <laughs> that's where I started to establish a recovery. So... I, I, to be honest, I still had a few levels, mate. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that was it, everything was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult for me. It was difficult for the people who were trying to support me. Um, but I, one thing I will say is I, I feel like I've learned a lot in a very short space of time because I've not just got like a one track um, or, or closed minded view. Um, so Mark's recovery route was massively different to mine and I was around him while I found my recovery route so I was like nicking bits that he was telling me and he was he was like getting me to do bits of good practice from his rehab well I still do some of that stuff today and if I'd have only gone one way I wouldn't have that so I feel like I've got this like kind of like comprehensive real world recovery really and quite open-minded um so, so yeah, so I went down there, stayed with Mark, cried most nights, eating crumpets on the boat bed. We had lots of chats about what we were like at school, about the fact we didn't know what we were coming. And, and over a period of time, um, you know, I kind of like got my life back on track. I made it back home. I, I go to fellowship meetings. Um, I've made it back home. Um, me, obviously, me and Matt spoke a lot about you know, what we were seeing as, you know, sort of like our, our, our perception of addiction and struggle and mental health compared to what we lived. And we were like, this isn't like, what we lived wasn't what we thought it was. And and we thought, well, do you know what, there's something in that. And so Definitely. very quickly, um, Mark's already mentioned at the time, it was funny, not, not that long before he was looking at a very different business. I was, I just sold the company and was thinking like, what do I do next? And we kind of thought there's a message in this. This has happened for a reason. We found our old school pictures and we were like, we, we need to do something with this. And, and we just ran with it. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much how this thing um, started, really. Honestly, we could we could talk to you now for the rest of the day about what we've done because <laughs> there's like there's so much more to tell and not enough. We need to do another podcast with you. We've got the story now. We want the yeah, future story. But while we are here now, I think I think what would be really useful first up is to tell us about Wise Up between you. What do you do? You know what what's the main aim of Wise Up? Where are you going next? And then where people can find you because you do a lot of work with gambling agencies now as well and. You know, I, I think we both love what you do. We see you on, on Instagram. We follow you. We like your stuff daily. You, you've been a massive um, inspiration for us too in some of the things that we do. And obviously, you've given us a bit of guidance along the way as, as well, Liam. So 
And yeah. can I just say, I still eat crumpets and cry now and again. It's all therapy. I know, I was thinking that. Like, That's a good plan. <laughs> so right, you want to go, mate? I've been speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like Liam said, we started having these chats at mine and what Wise Up would be. And that was just over three years ago. And to what it is now, it's very much different. But at first, we thought, Right, we've got a good story here. We can go in school, old school friends, tell our story of addiction and add a little bit on at the end. But that's all it was, really. It wasn't really a service. We thought schools at first, we didn't realise there's so many different sectors that we'd end up working in. But ultimately, it was prevention and awareness. So as much as we like helping people, really, we want to speak to people before there's a problem. Yeah. Um, However, because we're working in a number of different sectors now, we speak to a number of adults and the problem's already there. But Wise Up um, now is prevention and awareness. We work in three different sectors. Um, so we work in education, business and sports clubs. Um, we don't just look at you know one substance like Liam and a behaviour like mine, gambling, but we look at addiction in its own right. Um, and something that did keep coming up was a lot of what we've learned in recovery is looking after your mental health and well-being. Um, and that's, you know, no matter if you choose fellowship meetings, if you choose CBT or other recovery routes, it's about looking after yourself. And we've learned quite a lot about mental health and well-being without really using that word in recovery. And we started putting some sessions um, on that, which was probably over the last two years now our biggest uptake. So we look at addiction, we look at eating disorders, we've got someone who does speaking on that. Um, we look at specific substance and behaviour, so Liam will do workshops on drugs and alcohol, I'll do the gambling side of things. We have done some collaborations on the gambling side of things. Um, people who was a little bit in front of us with certain things, but it has been a, a true collaboration. We're just announcing today, actually, year two of that collaboration. So, yeah, exclusive again. Um, <laughs> so we worked um, in a lot of professional sport with professional sports teams last year. We worked with some really good businesses like AO. Um, and also social media, we've got a presence on there now. That is wise up on there, but ultimately it's, it's Mark and Liam as well. And what we found is through our social media, we we're getting a lot of people reaching out and saying they needed advice. So on the back of that, we've set something quite good up that we sell merchandise um, and that funds a support line that we've got. So we're not just someone who say, we're not a treatment provider, go elsewhere. I believe we're, we're quite, a, um, you know, we're quite middle ground where we can act as a conduit to people. We can give people good practical advice. Sometimes they might just need to kick up the backside. Other times they do need treatment. And for instance, on the gambling side of things, if someone did need, need treatment, we can send them to a rehab. We can get them about, I think it's worth about £10,000 worth of treatment for, at no cost um, if, if they come through. Which is so important, especially with gambling. It's like... Yeah, it's only it's only really recently being recognised, isn't it, gambling as, as a, a true addiction. And I think that it's it's about time. And I'm sure a lot of the work you've done has, has helped that. Because I'm seeing it more and more since since we started following you two. Yeah, I think it's timing again with everything. I think at first when we first set out, gambling was the hot topic. 
And it wasn't that we took a lead. We still did all of it. But that was the thing that we've got traction in. And I still think that's not going to go away. I think it's a massive problem. It's the fastest. Yeah. However, COVID has just come along. Um, and again, timing of everything. I think I think our biggest uptake now is going to be mental health um, and people struggling with that. So it's weird how things have sort of fallen. Timing's been perfect with it, really. Um, and we're sort of riding the crest of a wave with both things. Not that we want to be doing that. Our helpline over, over lockdown has been overwhelming at times and we need help and we're hopefully setting up a charity that's in the process that's going to be all about support. Um, and because we're overwhelmed, we're getting people from the doctors, from A&E, you know, saying, I've spoke to a doctor today, he's told me to come and follow Wise up and get in touch with you. We don't get paid, but it's yeah. it but we are, there's only me and Liam, we're trying to do, yeah. it's, it's overwhelming. However, we, I think we've got through the worst of it and we're putting plans in place where we can grow as a business and be equipped for that. So compared to where we are three years ago, like I'm speaking on behalf of Liam here. We're just so proud. Um, I, I love I love my job. I just like, I feel so lucky to be in this job every single day. Um, and, you know, we've got a good work-life balance and we're happy, yeah. Oh, we're dead grateful you've taken time to come on because we know you don't do loads of this stuff. Really sorry, I've got a wasp. Yeah. Don't worry, bro. with a wasp. I hate flying things like proper phobia and I'm sad. Still, I can't do it, so sorry. Oh, why you did this? I thought you were saying, oh, because... So, so I'm having a meltdown here. Like, I hate flying things and I've got two of them. Because like, oh. <laughs> you opened your window. Well, we can't see you much longer, but honestly, we're so grateful that you've given up your time to be on with us and shared what you do um, where's the best place that people can find you obviously buy the merch because that does fund your helpline doesn't it and a lot of the services that you can provide very cheap or at no cost at all um, so where can people find you when they want to follow you and so on yeah so um, so ultimately website wiseup.co.uk um, you can find information about what we do um, there's a help page on there and on the help page there's guides around drug and alcohol gambling mental health uh, eating disorder and there's a list of useful contacts and organisations um, not just for the person struggling either I might add there's support organisations for friends family and loved ones there's information on there about how to get in touch with us for a support call and again that can be for any issue we're not just we don't just deal with addictions um, the shops on there which as you mentioned is the merchandise so over the last three years we've done 54 free services and education on the back of the merchandise we've given out over 30 awards to young people recognising like good choices and decisions and stuff um, and we currently have the support line we've just upped it actually we currently have the support line now available three evenings a week we're hoping to get that much more so the merchandise does a lot of good um, and then on top of that is our socials. You know, you've already mentioned um, Instagram there, Facebook, we've got Twitter uh, and LinkedIn, and it's just that wise up official. Um, and, you know, follow us. We always try and encourage anyone to follow us, whether you, whether you think you're struggling or not, it's not. That's not the point of our social media. We, we firmly believe our information is for everybody because if everybody has the info, then hopefully people won't go where we went 
um, they'll make better decisions. But also, even if we can't save them people or the, the person who's struggling or, or stop them, we might just give the other few people uh, the ability to be like the eyes and ears and see things that maybe our friends and family struggle to see, you know, that sort of thing. So, so if anyone is watching and listening to this, go and follow us because someone in your circle might see you followed us and they might need it. So, yeah, give us a shout on that. Um, but yeah, that's it really. You guys are doing amazing yeah. things, honestly. I'm so glad that we found you. It was through um, Susie, actually, from yeah, being was. sober that we found you. And that's growing as well, isn't it? I, that's oh, yeah, and yeah. yeah, yeah what's just, happening there. It's gone a bit crazy. We're actually going to talk, weirdly, we're going to do the beginning at the end and we're going to put it on the beginning. But yeah, <laughs> we're actually going to talk a little bit about being sober. So if we get to this point, we will have already done it. <laughs> But yeah, it has grown a lot. Um, so much so that I'm now doing it as well, which it was never my thing. It was Lisa yeah. and Joe that met at the beginning of sobriety. But I'm now part of it, which is brilliant. Yeah, it's like brought everything exciting. together. Oh, that's cool. so thank you for the contact there as well yeah. so it started, started growing in bull and now all of a sudden we've got one in ohio like what the hell <laughs> oh that's great well i noticed as well you've got your first um bolton event on the 12th of september so i only want to put me that so i'm going to try and get to that so. oh brilliant we might see you there then yes yeah, so follow at wise up and at be sober bolton as well if you want to go along and meet hopefully mark Liam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't you can't go, you unsober Mac. <laughs> oh yeah, you sorry guys, you're not allowed. <laughs> I have to come up with a better word because unsober makes it sound like he's currently drinking, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. 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 Can I just say that um, like even though Lisa commented that I was weird for calling you the cutest little boys I'd ever seen, she keeps like picking you up and being unsober and stigmatizing. No, that is still <laughs> And everyone else will think so too. Well, <laughs> even if it is weird, I'm going to say bye-bye to the cutest little boys in Bolton. <laughs> Thanks very much. So Thank much, you. guys. Thank you. So Thank much. You. Girls, bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.